So, John, darling, why is it we're driving all the way to Rutland, Vermont? Maggie, why did you wait until we're almost there to ask me? We've been driving forever. I've actually been asking you since we left Wisconsin. But every time I do, you take the wrong exit, and we wind up in a different state. I'm also wondering about the Vermont thing, but I also have a series of other questions, mostly about the life-size statue of Grimlock you two spent an hour assembling on my lawn? Look, Jeff needed room to sit down somewhere, and it wouldn't fit on the roof of the car. Man has a point. No, he does. Never mind. How does someone take the wrong turn on the way to Vermont and end up in Oregon? I've asked that one, too. That's a good question. I have to admit. Fair question. It really does baffle the mind. (laughs) Is that Al Sedano? Hello. Yeah, we stopped in Florida on the way back from Oregon to Vermont. Darling, how, while on a basically straight, easterly path across the northern United States, did we end up in Florida? I thought that Al still lived in New York. But I took the wrong exit and wound up in Florida. Eventually. Because you wound up in New Mexico before you got there. Somehow. And picked Sean up. Hey, Sean Ross is here too? How many people are in this car? I can't remember if it was before or after, but I think it was right before we got Clinton Robinson. But I could be wrong. I can never remember where Oklahoma is. I can never remember where Oklahoma is. And I've lived there the whole time. I have questions. Why are they laughing? Is it me? Do they know? Is everything a private joke with you people? Ah, random nonsense. Wait, John and Wilson and Lane are also in this car? Hello. Hi. And me, Tim Price. John, I love you, but if you don't tell me what's going on, our podcast is changing to Maggie with crocheting, and you don't get to be on it. Why are we driving to Vermont? Where did we get this TARDIS of a rental car? And why did we pick up all these podcasters from across the country? Um, All right, all right, all right. Remember that mysterious, evil, but most of all really, really gaudy envelope that we got that you told me to throw away immediately without opening it? Well, I didn't throw it away, and I opened it. And inside were free tickets to Rutland, Vermont, along with a letter that was cryptically unsigned and said we get to be Grand Marshals in the parade this year, but that this year it was on Thanksgiving instead of Halloween. Hey, I got one of those mysterious letters, too. We all got letters. Does anyone else's mysterious letter smell like sulfur? Mm-hmm. And does anyone else know where that music is coming from? Damn it, John! Who's this guy? Maybe now some of you will stop jumping to conclusions about where that sulfur smell is coming from. Greetings, casters of pods! It is I, Mephisto! We know! I don't. I have my suspicions. Horrible, horrible suspicions. Be not suspicious, O comics-casting caffeinated consumer! I freely divulge my intentions. 
since you have no hope against them. You will all proceed to legendary Rutland, Vermont, home of many a Halloween costume parade. And while there, cast your pods gloriously about various comics situated in that demonic, uh, I mean, idyllic locale. Starring a veritable league of avenging adventure for a generation of bat fans and, uh, Thor something. So beware, listeners of Mephisto vs. the Podcasters Year 666, Podcasters on Parade, featuring the podcasting talents of Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, Resurrections, the Warlock and Thanos podcast, Married with Crossover podcast with John and Maggie, Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast, Coffee and Comics, Ninjas and Bots. You'll never look at Vermont the same way again. <laughs> no! no! <sighs> Honey. Honey, wake up. You won't believe the dream I just had. Well, don't you want to hear about it? All right, John. What is it? Well, I was in a car with a bunch of podcasters, and Mephisto was making us do another Halloween podcast. That settles it. No more Japanese food before you go to bed. You know as well as I do that it's on Thanksgiving this year. Oh, yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Aren't you supposed to be Susan Plachette? <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And in this the spooky season of the year, I think, I am not alone. This time I have with me the ever-caffeinated Clinton Robinson from Coffee and Comics, Fan Film Fridays, and if you like your sword and sandal style comics, Days of High Adventure. Hello, Clinton. How you doing today? Hey, Al. Thanks for having me here. I'm doing pretty good, and that sure sounds like a busy podcast schedule for somebody who is um, rather lax in getting their episodes out. Well, it's probably why you're lax, because you have so many to do. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, sounds good to me. It's an excuse. It works. People are buying it. <laughs> it's all counts. But yes, Clinton is here with me in this spooky season. We think it is. It's somewhere between Halloween and Thanksgiving. Because, well, Mephisto is bored again. And he's decided he is enjoying this season, wants it to last. And he has sent a bunch of us up to Rutland, Vermont, 
for the annual Halloween parade. Well, you know, it's nice to get out of the house once in a while. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, road trip from, you know, Florida via Vermont via, you know, Wisconsin and Oklahoma and other states. Gets a little confusing. Plus, the store-bought Spider-Man costume says Die Spine on the back, but whatever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But anyway, so yes, we are in Rutland, Vermont. Now, some of you might be saying, why the hell are you in Rutland, Vermont? What does that have to do with Halloween or comics or anything? Well, some of you might know this already, but if you... If, so hopefully you weren't asking that question, because that's kind of dumb. But for those of you that are asking that question because you didn't know that, Rutland, Vermont is very important, is a big of a factor of comics in the Bronze Age. So starting in 1960, uh, oh my God, what was his last name? Tom Fagan, who was a resident of Rutland, Vermont, started the parade, an annual Halloween parade, and he was big into comics and, everything, and things like that. And he started, definitely got a lot of people dressing up as comic characters. He would dress up as Batman every year. Plus, he had a mansion that he would apparently house sit at in that time frame. And he would have a big Halloween party afterwards. And it got enough with enough comic stuff that some comic professionals heard about it and got involved in going there, including Roy Thomas. Uh, sorry, Roy and his wife at the time, Jean Thomas, Steve Englehart, Mike Friedrich, Gary Conway, Len Wein, and a few others. And in fact, they enjoyed it enough that one point in an issue of Avengers, I believe 83, Roy Thomas wrote that that into the plot where they went to that parade into Rutland, Vermont. And in the same year, an issue of Detective Comics. Uh, let's see if I have that issue here somewhere. Oh, sorry. No, Batman 237. Where Batman and Robin were at the parade as well, along with other comic professionals. So it became a kind of a thing they would do where occasionally around Halloween, they would have a story taking place in and around Rutland, it would evolve. Being in Rutland, um, the parade, Tom Fagan, and or the party at Tom's house. In fact, one of the early Defenders issues, uh, Marvel feature number two, takes place not during the parade or the party, but in the, on a mountain right outside of Rutland. And in 1972, sorry, 19, well, it's covered in 73, but I believe it came out in 72, uh, they came up, Steve Englehart and Len Wein came up with an idea, well, actually, sorry, Jerry Conway, too, came up with an idea to do a crossover between the books they were doing, which was Amazing Adventures featuring the Beast, Justice League of America, and Thor. In the fact that, obviously, they couldn't really do an official crossover, but they did have this, the stories, all three of the stories take place at Rutland at the parade, you know, with the parade and the party, and a couple comic creators, which we will see in this issue, are at the party, and they're, those same creators are in all three issues. And there's kind of a through line of in Amazing Adventures, you see Jerry Conway's car has is having problems, and then it gets stolen by Felix Faust in Justice League of America, <laughs> and uh, they have comment on the fact that the that the car st was stolen and having muffler problems, which was brought up in Justice League in the store issue. And also the fact that apparently in the Just League issue, which I did read, Felix made a couple of people who were dressed up in costumes, gave them temporarily the powers of the people they were possess you know, they were playing at. And you can see uh, Len Wein's wife, well, wife at the time, Glynis Lean, you know, also known as Glynis Oliver, the colorist, was dressed as Supergirl and had Supergirl powers and is actually goes missing in 
in the uh, Marvel issues for a little while because she's busy fighting the Justice League. So it's kind of a fun little thing that happened. Now, we're, how familiar were you with this stuff, Clinton, beforehand? I had heard of people talking about the Rutland crossover things, but I'll be honest with you, up until, like, last week, I didn't even realize that Rutland is a real place. Mm-hmm. Yep. Unfortunately, Tom Fagan did pass away in 2008, I believe, and stopped running the parade a few years before that. I wish, when I still lived up in the Northeast, I had thought to go to a parade while he was still running it. Because that would have been cool. Jeez, I can only imagine, like, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, but for comic book fans. I know, it would have been awesome. Okay, I know what we're doing when we finally get time travel. Yeah. But, and also, just so, before we get started on this issue, it also happened in a bunch of other comics. Uh, In fact... The Avengers Defenders War crossover kind of ends in Avengers 119 at Rutland. Um, and it pops up a few times. Loki actually spends a while living in Rutland. And even shows up in other comic companies, including the occult files of Dr. Spectre from Gold Key. There's an issue of Freedom Fighters from DC, some more Justice League. Going on a lot through the 70s and early 80s. And in fact, even into later on in the 90s, we have an issue of Generation X where Banshee takes uh, Artie Leach and Franklin Richards over to the parade. Well, that would be you, nice to cover that one, wouldn't it? Yes, oh, it would. <laughs> and oh my God, the it. artwork on that issue by uh, Chris Bacalo mm-hmm. is awesome. I love it. And funnily enough, the last issue, that, as far as I know, that co- had anything happening was from DC, an issue of that perennial favorite of everybody, Superboy and the Ravers, issue 16, which has a rock, features a rock show, and I think it's the band Scare Tactics performing on Halloween in Rutland. So as far as I know, nothing has been done since then, but... It's a fun thing to it's a fun thing to go back and look at. It's a, it's a you know it's a time it's a time so to speak. I, I mean I'm almost certain Disney wouldn't let them do anything like that now. Well, depend. I mean they might be able to get away with it. I mean they got. I mean that's the way they did it before was that you know this crossover wasn't really a crossover. They don't officially mm-hmm. appear. We do have Glennis Oliver wearing a Supergirl looking costume, except instead of the S, it has a G. So it's not Supergirl. And in the Just League issue, they fight like a, someone who's dressed like Captain America. Sort of. I don't know. I mean, I, I would just assume so many people nowadays would be like, that's our intellectual property. Yeah, you know, I'll it's see possible. you in court. It, it's very possible. You might be right. They might not be able to even get away with that much. But, but who knows? Who knows? It'd be nice if they could. You know, who who knows how closely these major corporations are watching the smaller IPs so long as the movies make money. Yeah, I mean, it might be a matter of as long as they don't make it too obvious, they can get away with it. I mean, as long as they're not doing it in one of, like, maybe the license books where they have to look more like Star Wars or Aliens or something. Mm-hmm. But even then, they could always have any, I mean, some, a lot of these books are not crossovers. They just all take, pl- you know, they take place there. They could do an aliens issue to go so, so just 
for instance, that takes place in Rutland. <laughs> it's a real place. It's not like they're saying Metropolis. That's true. But, I mean, it probably did help at a time when most creators lived in New York City. And so, therefore, going to Rutland, Vermont was no more than, like, you know, a half a day trip. So it was somewhere they would go to, as opposed to now, where, not that it's a bad thing, but, for instance, for the purpose of this, with people living all over the world, why would they know about that place? Mm -hmm. Unless they read those comics. But anyway, that's a little bit of the backstory on Rutland. If you want to hear more about it, you should listen to the other shows of this crop of this uh, Halloween Mephisto crossover, including the other two which are covering this specific crossover: Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which is covering Amazing Adventures sixteen, and happened to have me as a guest on it. And also, um, who is doing? Oh, on the Outcasters of Tim Price, which is covering the Just League of America issue. With Oh, with Jeff and Rick from Unpacking the Power of Power Pack as guests. And there are other few uh, shows that are involved that are covering Rutland issues, just not that specific crossover, including Married with Crossovers with John and Maggie covering Avengers 83. Uh, nin- I think it's going to be Ninjas and Bots, but it's going to be something on the John Reads Comics feed covering Batman 237. And, oh, hey, speaking of Generation X... Generation X-22, covered by Coffee and Comics with Clinton and Sean Ross. Yeah, we're going to hopefully get that out on time. If not, let me know, and I can always edit that part out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it'll be there eventually. There we go. Close enough. (laughs) All right, folks, so give us a moment, and I am going to drop in here the uh, synopsis of this issue and probably a promo for something. And then we will, Clinton and I will be back to talk about this actual issue. Thor, number 207. Writer, Jerry Conway. Pencils, John Buscema and Marie Severin. Inker, Vince Coletta and Marie Severin. Colors, Glennis Oliver. Letters, Denise Wohl. Editor, Roy Thomas. Cover art, Gil Kane, Joe Sinnott, and John Costanza. Cover dated January 1973. On sale date, October 10th, 1972, with a cover price of 20 cents. You can find this reprinted in Thor number 17, a 1982 French reprint, The Mighty Thor number 9, a 1983 UK reprint, Essential Thor volume 5, a 2011 reprint, Marvel Masterworks volume 199, The Mighty Thor volume 12, a 2013 reprint, Thor Epic Collection volume 6, Into the Dark Nebula from 2020, Thor, L'Integral, 1972-1973, a 2022 French reprint. Apologies for any butchering of that word. And The Mighty Thor Omnibus, Volume 4, from 2023. Thor has followed the Absorbing Man to Vermont, which is just beginning its Halloween celebration. Thor manages to defeat him by knocking him into the lake, where he absorbs the properties of water and begins to flow away. But then, Loki arrives, who has by mystic means transformed two dogs to kill Thor. Thor defeats the dogs, then Loki summons the Fire Sword. Thor manages to defeat Loki with a lightning strike, which has the side effect of blinding him. Loki, not Thor. Later, Thor seeks out his female companions, Hildegard and Sif, but discovers that Sif left with Carnilla to search for Baldur. When you talk about comics, does it sound something like this? Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered Rek Kryptonite yet. 
And you, uh, you can't put the number 98 with the 300s. Lori the Morris hasn't even been introduced. Or maybe it sounds a little more like this. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? Why not? I saw the other day he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Boy, you don't know nothing. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. Yeah, maybe you're right. Would be a good fight, though. Hello, I am the constantly caffeinated Clinton Robison, and my comics discussions can go to both extremes, but generally fall somewhere in between. On the Coffee and Comics podcast, I will review comic stories and other comics-related topics that can be enjoyed over a cup of coffee. So pour the coffee, or other beverage of choice, and join me on the Coffee and Comics podcast, available on iTunes and coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And we're back. So, Thor 207. The special haunted Halloween issue. I mean, they are not slacking on cover copy on this issue, are they? <laughs> no. Because it says on the bottom, where demons dwell, and we have Loki with a sword yelling at Thor, Satan talking to two giant mystically enhanced dogs or wolves. Satan, Diablo, strike in the name of Loki. And those angry puppies are jumping on Thor. Loki told him Thor is treats. <laughs> okay, I've got a question before we even dive in. All right. When you read this uh, cover copy and all this, whose voice do you have in your head when you read Loki's dialogue? Is it Tom Hiddleston? Not always. I don't have enough. I mean, I, I like him as Loki, and sometimes I do, or some, but sometimes I have to make I have to make myself think of it. Yeah, same because um, I mean, like especially this era of Thor, um, th- this does not come across as Tom Hiddleston to me. It comes across that's the same voice that was on the uh, the Thor cartoons that they did, like in the sixties. Those mm. mighty Marvel heroes and makes sense. You know, it, where he's kinda talked through his nose. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the voice I get. Yeah, it's it's he's good. I like him as Loki, but I don't have enough and it's not developmental enough for me. Like almost any Batman, it's hard not to hear. Oh god, why am I blanking all of a sudden? <laughs> Kevin Conroy. Uh yeah. Maybe Adam West, depending on the type of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you don't necessarily have like a a Ben Affleck Batman or a. Yeah, but like it's yeah. like Thor, I don't automatically, even though I like the best Thor, I don't automatically have a Chris Hemsworth voice coming out, you know, as I'm reading it, because. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, you know, he's done good, you know, he's done plenty of Thor stuff, but not as it, it I didn't see as much as I have of Kevin Conroy's Batman. I mean, all the seasons of Batman and then Justice League <laughs> and Justice League Unlimited and Batman Beyond. Like, it's just, you know, Kevin Conroy's Batman in my head now. Well, you know, that's kind of what happens when somebody plays a role for 20 years. Yeah. Although I'm trying to imagine it now with the Tom Hiddleston boys. It's kind of fun. <laughs> 
Although I'm kind of picturing him at the top as Loki saying the copy on the cover and then kind of like rolling his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it comes across a little more like the uh, the play scene from uh, Thor Ragnarok. If, if we're doing it that way, if it's that's going to be the voice for him, then it's kind of like I'm kind of headcanning Loki as being like, got to get a character. <laughs> Thor's expecting this. So he's saying this stuff intentionally. He's saying it intentionally like that, mm-hmm. just to be over the top. <laughs> I mean, he is a bit theatrical, so I can see him doing this intention. You know, doing that intentionally. So we start off the story with uh, the parade, and I love the idea of the Vision wearing shades because <laughs> they're not doing too good a job at making these look like bad costumes. I mean. They look like, I mean, this parade has the Avengers on there, and it looks like the Avengers. Mm-hmm. With the exception of the fact that you can see that Thor kind of has, like, a dark, like, goatee. Mm-hmm. And the Scarlet Witch has, like, a black domino mask, and Vision has sunglasses on. And you can kind of see in the back part of the parade, you got Superman and Batman. And, I mean, in fact, the Batman doesn't really look too off-model. I mean, it's small, but it looks like the regular Bat logo. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the Superman one actually just looks like the Golden Age logo. See, this is why we need to, like, go to this parade that no longer exists. (laughs) Oh, I know. I I, I doubt the costumes would be that good. But like I said, I I need to see the Vision wearing sunglasses more now. I love that look. And so we have our cast of comic creators. Jerry Conway, Lynn Ween, uh, Glennis Oliver, and oh, Steve Englehart. And I have to say, Steve Englehart is must be either a great, really, like really relaxed and groovy at the time, or was hated by the artists because I mean, <laughs> everyone looks pretty good, but Steve is like this kind of like scraggy, almost balding blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was having somebody draw me, I'm like, could you draw me a little, just a little better than I look? I'm not saying make me look like a hero, but, you know, let's uh, fix yeah. it up a little bit. Yeah, going back to the heroes, though, uh, the female Daredevil with the big Mephisto oh. swooping cape. Yes. <laughs> I kind of like that. That is a cool look. I mean, they had Elektra as Daredevil for a little while, I think, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That would have been a cool look. But yeah, poor, poor Steve Englehart. That's... I mean, I... It is 70... What, 73? Yeah, well, it came out 73, so... Yeah. I mean, because right, cover date is 73, so it will be October 72. Yeah, early 70s, so... Yeah, I mean... I'm sure this is... Feeling groovy, Steve Englehart. Yeah, it's all cool. Do whatever. I don't know, like some of the art on some of these people. Like, just really doesn't look like like what their um, you know what their pictures t- tend to be like. But then again, you know, most photos for for the comics creators are from like ten years later. So true. I mean, there's some photos. I mean, I'm gonna have a link. In the show notes, everybody, for a, a, a great resource from comic historians about the Rutland Halloween Parade. And there are pictures for 
not everyone here, but like Len Wein has pictures and Roy and Jean Thomas have pictures in there. So some of the, I mean, Len Wein looks good enough, I think, for Len Wein. It looks, it's more or less what he looked like. Oh, and by the way, I'm looking it up. So yeah, this covered, covered it January 73, and the issue actually came out October 10th, 72. And now the parade's over, they kind of get into uh, Steve's bad car. With you know the with the muffler issues, and also not that big because they had a fit. They had also had to fit the beast and his girlfriend Vera at the time. Girlfriend at the time Vera into the car in the Amazing Adventures that really filled up the space too. But they get up to the the part the house of the party and meet up with Tom Fagan, who is normally always dressed as Batman. And there are pictures of him dressed up as Batman on the the link I'm going to put people, which actually didn't look actually looked pretty good. Did you ever look at that link I had sent over on the the group page before? No, I I had not seen the the Batman pictures, but that would explain why he's. Um, they have in the Marvel books. He's Nighthawk. Yeah, and I couldn't think of the Squadron Supreme guy's name, but yeah, like, that, that makes a- sense why he's Nighthawk. Yeah, that's why he's Nighthawk. Not he was. It wasn't a big Nighthawk fan. He was Batman. Oh snap! I mean, for your own mate costume. That's that's still better than like what's in the Batman serials. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you should you should read that. Go to go to that thing on the Google if you have access to that still. And click on the link. There's some awesome pictures of the party. But yeah, there's some good stuff of Len Wein as a. a Len Wein and somebody else's Cain and Abel, it looks like. And Gene and Roy Thomas as Susan Storm and Spider-Man. Anyway, back to the story. <clears throat> but yeah, so they're at the party. Everything's all good. So looks like fun. I mean, you got everyone dressed up. You got a Captain America. Got a Captain America of it all. Like it looks like Patrock as Captain America with that mustache. <laughs> I mean, like, God, like who made that Doom costume? That looks great. I, I think Doom's actually at the party. Who says he's not? Doom's like, I'm just taking the night off. Yep. I'm not Doom. I'm I'm John. That's it. I'm John. (laughs) John Von Doom. (laughs) But we find out that that there is somebody hiding at the party who is kind of commanding Tom Fagan. Because when they got to the party, our comic readers noticed that Tom seemed a little out of it. And, you know, he is being commanded to make, you know... Making sure that all the arrangements are done for this mysterious person that you will never guess who it is, if not for the fact that he is commanding two giant dogs, Satan and Diablo, just like on the cover. It can't be. Not Willie Lumpkin. Dun, dun, dun. That's the real villain. <laughs> it's It can't be. Not you. But anyway, let's actually get our main character here as Thor shows up. Along with, at the time, his uh, his uh, supporting cast, the Lady Sith and the Valkyrie Hildegard. Who I didn't know about, but I checked, and apparently Hildegard had been hanging out with Thor for, like, a while. Like, she's in, she's like a, she's like almost like a supporting character of his for, like, two or three years. Thank you. I was afraid I was the only one that was like, wait, I've read Thor for years and years. Who is Hildegard? She was gone for a while. She was mostly in the 70s. But she came back not too long ago, and actually for I don't know how long, 
but apparently for a while replaced Volstag as part of the Warriors three. Okay. In more recent years. I mean, uh, you know, I hate to see Volstag go, but th- that's a worthy replacement right there. Yeah, I know. She's pretty cool. And I mean, as long as Volstag's not dead, if Volstag's like, I, I got I got like 80 kids. I got to spend some time at home. <laughs> Dude, that is one thing for sure. <laughs> like, you know, you can say what you want about Volstag. That dude and his wife are busy. And they adopt. They have like a couple of mortal kids that they adopted too. Like, they just keep adding kids to this group. He has a heart as big as his girth. You know what? It's actually fine for Lola's to be home as long as it's not that he's dead, if that's the reason. Because it's like in Guardians 3. He's meant to be a dad. <laughs> you got to say, Volstagg would be an awesome dad. Or at least an Asgardian dad. Mm-hmm. Go fight that dragon. You'll be fine. I'm right here. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> they got to learn. Thor and Sif and Hildegard are here looking for the, searching for the Absorbing Man who he was fighting last issue, and the Absorbing Man is hiding. It's like one of those little, like, where can you know, can you, where's Waldo's, you know, can you see the Absorbing Man hiding behind the tree? Because he's part of the tree now. That is the best idea. I do find it funny. He's like, taking the absorbed power of this blasted giant oak. I'm like, really? You're a tree? Like, I mean, yeah, it's oaks, it's a big oak, it's strong, but I mean, I don't know if that's going to be good. I don't know if that's the best option to use going against Thor. Maybe that's just me. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does knock Thor down. But of course, you know, I guess Sif and Hildegard were just there to be to watch because they're not allowed to fight. <laughs> In fact, Hildegard stops Sif. She's like, no, get over here. There's a lot of a lot of uh, Sif's characterization in this issue that I disagree with. All right. Anything here? I mean, just so, the- tell me. Just the fact that, like, a lot of the stuff is Sif just sitting there like, oh, Thor, you know, anywhere I go, so long as I'm with you, Thor. And it's just, you know, I'm used to Sif, like, from the 90s on, where she's just like, nope, we lean into Warrior Woman first and Love of Thor, like, fifth. Okay. Now, to be fair, now I'm not saying they're not doing, they are, you know, you're wrong. I will say, to be fair, she is ready to pull her sword out. I mean, she is pulling it out, ready to Mm -hmm. fight with him until Hildegard stops him because Thor had asked to be, do it by himself for whatever reason. But, you know, at least she does attempt. Yeah. I will say that. But, you know, I can understand what you're saying completely. I'm not arguing with you either. No, I think more it really has to do with, like, the, the way her face is drawn a lot of times. She's she comes across as like more of the softer Mary Jane kind of look. Oh, like that issue where Thor, the page where Thor gets knocked into the water and you see her running towards him with like this big look of concern of like. <gasps> yeah. Which I mean, I'm, I'm not saying like she shouldn't react like that. I'm just saying it. It's not the Sif I'm used to there. Yeah, that, that, it, that's the. Understood. Yeah. It's also like, uh, yes, I understand your concern, but I mean, you know who Thor is. The guy punched him once. You really, he's fought this guy a dozen times. 
and he has the power of a tree. You really think that one punch killed him? Yeah, I mean, like Thor even says it himself. <laughs> it's like, if I weren't tired, I would have already whipped you. Yeah. But as I haven't slept in a week. <laughs> I'm a little tired. I'm a little cranky. But so they fight until, of course, the Absorbing Man finally does something smarter than touching a tree. He touches the hammer. Which seems to be like, you know, the, every fight with the Absorbing Man. Yes. But, you know, I I can't argue with that because, A, that is the smart thing to do. And, B, every time Superman fights the Parasite, the Parasite wants to touch Superman. So, well, that might be a Parasite personal issue. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of like, yeah, you have, like, you know, one theme, but, quote, stand by me. It'd be a good fight, though. Yes, it would. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a good fight because you know he touches the hammer and he hits the the, the mountain I guess they're on or the clip the hill with a badadoom and turns the whole thing to rubble and Thor is buried in it and then back to the party where it's kind of funny here they change the costume that Glynis is wearing so it's not it's a Supergirl costume and it's a Supergirl costume at the time where it's the shirt. With the cape and the hot pants. And the little like. Su- little su- like just Instead of the, the super symbol. The S symbol on, on, in the middle of the chest. It's on. It's over the right side. Uh, the left side. Mm-hmm. But it's a G instead of an S. Because you know. They can't do that. But then they. Wait a minute. Is this before. When did Power Girl come out? Because they call. Because they say. Well what's so hot about your wife's costume? Who ever heard of Power Girl anyway? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, I'm just like, wait a minute. It's like saying, you know, instead of Batman calling him Nightwing. uh, Yeah, Power Girl, uh, according to Google here, uh, All-Star Comics, number 58, February of 76. Okay. So, yeah, this technically predates. So, at uh, the time, this was not a copyright thing. mm Mm-hmm. It's just kind of funny that it's now a name. It is a name of basically an alternate version of Supergirl. I wonder, wonder if that if had she, anything to do with it. I don't know. I wonder if she showed up during Crisis and we just never noticed. I mean, who wrote that issue? Oh, gosh. What issue is that again? All-Star 58? Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that. Uh, Jerry Conway. Who wrote this one? <laughs> Jerry, I wonder if that I wonder if that's the genesis of the idea. I wonder if like he just liked that name. He's like, oh, I can use it now. Hmm. I didn't catch. I mean, I did catch before that they use the name Power Girl, but I didn't think about that or the fact that you know she'd be created a few years later by the same writer. Wait, somebody get Jerry Conway on the phone. I want to know. Oh, I have questions now. But she heads out to the bathroom, and as we're told, they, they apparently have eaten a lot, because it says several hamburgers and a malt for Jerry. She has not. She's vanished. She's not in the bathroom, and they don't know where she is. Now, we know, so if you go read Justice League of America 103, you'll see her fighting uh, the Justice League. Although her costume will be adjusted where it actually will have an S on it now. <laughs> 
But back to the Thor fight, fights the observing man. Actually, he's doing pretty good for somebody who's basically can't move. He's buried on, half buried under a rock, <laughs> and he still picks him up by his ankle and tosses him. You gotta love somebody who has you know upper body strength of an Asgardian warrior. Yeah, flies back out of that little pit they were in, beats the hell out of the absorbing man. I mean, that is one hell of a hit. And of course, unfortunately, knocks him into the water. And I guess he doesn't have the ability to control his powers. I guess because he automatically turns into water and kind of just melts into it, which is kind of like a a tales from the crypt. You know, Golden Age Spectre kind of way to die. Yeah, that would be like a Spectre type thing. Mm-hmm. Except he ain't dead. You don't say. He'll be back. Nobody, no dead. Although, while Thor is musing on this, he is told to turn around and find see his real executioner. No, not thee. It cannot be thee. Wouldn't have been a trip if it had really been the executioner. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's who that guy was? <laughs> but it is Loki. And see, this is kind of like what I was saying before about when we were talking about the Tom Hiddleston thing. I mean, Loki is not standing there. He is, like, sitting in a tree. Like, he's relaxed. I could see Tom, the Tom, the version, like, if we're watching, like, like this is an episode of Loki, and, like, Thor is fighting him. Tom Hiddleston's, like, getting himself adjusted into the tree. Do I try it? No, this, this looks better, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what will come off the cockiest? Hmm. Yes. Stand here full of bravado, sit back calm and relaxed. <laughs> and he's mystically changed the dogs, which it doesn't... Now, the uh, synopsis that I read says that they're Tom Fagan's dogs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really say that in the issue, whose dogs they are. You know, maybe Tom Fagan did have dogs named Satan and Diablo. Who knows? Or maybe Loki just changed their names because their names were like, you know, Rex and Buddy. You know, and he started commanding the dog, using his power to command the dogs. He just felt ridiculous, saying Rex and Buddy kill. <laughs> Again, going back <laughs> to Stand By, stand by me. me. Chomper yeah. would not be as scary if his name was, you know, Lucky. Now he said, sicken boy. But what I heard was Chopper, sick balls. Hi, John. Hi, Maggie. I'm still wrapping my brain around the fact that we're married. <laughs> Me too, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Aw. Oh, hey, I was looking at these old comics, and I noticed that there's Hold a Hold that thought. Why don't we talk about it on our podcast? We have a podcast? It seems like the logical next step. We get married. We change our names. We combine our comic collections. We start a podcast about comic books. Well, I can't fault your logic, but there are plenty of podcasts out there already. Do you really think we'll have anything new and interesting to say? Oh, I think we'll manage. Welcome to the Married with Comics podcast, where we constantly f*** up. <laughs> it goes from Marvel Girl to Phoenix to Marvel Girl to Jean Grey to Phoenix to Dead. <laughs> um, and then apparently he's so consumed with his own thoughts that he runs right past three monkeys. <laughs> a brainwave camera took a picture of that guy's head. A brainwave camera. Uh, and Ben's just basically, whatever you gotta do to stop the commies, Nick. So join us at the Married with Comics podcast, where two newlyweds with a love for comics intelligently, critically, and thoughtfully discuss comic books. 
also listen as we goof around, make jokes, and make fun of John for mispronouncing names. I do that a lot. Sometimes we'll pick a topic and review and discuss comics that relate to the topic. And sometimes we'll pick up a comic and see what discussion topics come up. Sometimes we'll spend an entire episode talking about how much Maggie loves Batman. The only thing that's almost as strong as my love for you is my love for Batman. The Married with Comics podcast. Available directly on our site at marywcomics.libsyn.com, on iTunes, and wherever good podcasts are found. Also, check us out at Facebook at the Married with Comics podcast. We've got everything you need. But yeah, he has mystically enhanced the dog, so they are more ferocious, more violent. A lot of spittle coming out of their mouths. Thankfully, Thor is not want to hurt the puppies. So I like that. Yeah, he even calls them innocent. Yeah. You know, not their fault that Loki used them as pawns. Yep. He kind of knocks them down a bit, but he does know they've been enhanced by Loki, so they're a little stronger. But just kind of makes a whirlwind and, you know, whips the dogs away somewhere safe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Loki is using, stealing power from the souls of the people at the parade and the party. And we can see a whole bunch of people there all entranced by Loki. See, maybe that's why we shouldn't have gone to the Threatland Parade. Well, we just got to avoid this year. Okay. If we go one of the years where the comics weren't happening, nothing happened. It was cool. <laughs> so Loki calls forth the Fire Sword, which is the name of the story. I have no idea whether this Fire Sword is a real thing or just something that was brought up for this issue, and that's it. Um, Considering it doesn't even have... Like an entry on the Marvel fandom wiki. Oh, right. I was about to look. Yeah, it's listed as an item in the issue, but there's no link to anything else. So I would assume this is a one and done for that sword. Yeah. I mean, it does something. According to Loki here, the blade embodies the life force of all I hold entranced. And he apparently is able to hurt Thor with it a bit. Yeah, like gives him legit burns and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that's what that is on his arm. Well, I hope so. Otherwise, you know, Thor needs to, you know, go see a dermatologist. Yeah, that's possible, too. You know, it's either giving him burns or he has bad eczema. <laughs> Thor needs to moisturize more. That's the problem. He has not been going to sleep. You know, he's not been getting rid of months of sleep. He's not been able to do his nightly routine, you know, get that stuff on every day. I mean, it's treatable. Just, you know, you got to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. And probably doesn't help to fight people with fire swords. Thor Odinson, spokesman for Dupixent. <laughs> I take twice daily herpexia. <laughs> anyway. Oh, and but meanwhile, we get a little bit of a Sif Hildegard interlude, because, you know, in case you forgot that other people in this book. And yeah, she is doing that, like, second panel, the, the hand over the eye, like, oh. So I can see what you're saying there. But then Carnilla shows up. The Norn Queen. Mm-hmm. Although, unfortunately, she's not wearing anything as crazy as when Kirby used to draw her. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of noticed that. Like, man, where's where's all your wacky headgear? I mean, she does have some nice headgear. I mean, that is pretty good. But it's not Kirby good. Yeah. I mean, no offense to John Basima, but he's not known for drawing the headgear. Nope. But she is searching for Balder because she's in love with him. And, and why she, wouldn't she be? That's true. So she asked for Sif's aid in this. 
And she says, I'll help Thor if you help me. Yeah, I love how quickly it goes from no, 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 Thor can handle this. He's he's fine on his own to yes, yes, yes. True. But first we get more fighting with Thor and Loki. With Loki kind of dominating this fight. It's like a wrestling thing. You know, Thor beat the crap out of the first guy and then the next guy shows up behind him and whacks him in the head with the chair. Oh, yeah. That, that's all I need is JR giving commentary now. Oh, my God. It's Loki with the steel chair. <laughs> and Loki's pulling the fire sword out from underneath the ring. <laughs> it's a real slobber knocker, folks. And he actually has Thor down. Thor's trying to grab Thor's trying to grab the sword, but Loki grabs, you know, stamps on his hand and picks up the sword himself and is about to strike and kill him. And that's what, like you said, when Sif's like, uh, nope, okay, I'm I'm cool. I'll help. Help Loki, help Thor. And so Carnilla brings up a giant storm. Yeah, I'm wondering, uh, how often has uh you know it rains on Thor been used as a way of re-energizing? Probably not as much as on Namor or Aquaman, but probably almost. Because <laughs> it's almost like the things that remind Thor, oh yeah, I control this stuff. And Thor remembers to call his hammer back. And calls forth lightning that strikes right by Loki's face and makes him blind. Do you think it makes him blind? Or do, you, do we think that, like... Loki is just like, okay, here's opportunity. It's an opportunity. This is his monologue. Is that it? You know, yeah, this is my chance to like be overly dramatic and make Thor feel bad. Maybe. <laughs> Do you think this is overly dramatic? I mean, just because he says, stay, I'll not attack thee, Thor. Nay, never will Loki strike anyone ever again. The lightning hath stolen the light from my eyes. All is in darkness. All is night. Midnight evermore. <laughs> yeah, with those big pupilless eyes. That's all it did. The lightning didn't do anything. It just erased the black part of the, the black ink on his eyes. <laughs> and we end with Loki with the uh, the car with with uh, Jerry Conway's car being stolen, which you will see happening in Just League because Felix Faust steals it with its bad muffler, so it's making a lot of noise. And Loki is running around behind it, asking it to stop. <laughs> and he goes over a cliff. Take me with you. Ah! And apparently, no one cares that someone went over a cliff. Yeah, that, that's what got me. Was like, you know, all the comics creators are just like. That dude had a bad trip <laughs> over the edge of a cliff. <laughs> well, we got Glennis back. Let's go get some burgers. Mm-hmm. And Thor flies back to Hildegard. He's like, but where, where, where's Sif? And Hildegard tells him, thy beloved did leave with Carnilla as she did promise. And in my heart, I know ne'er shall we see ever of them, either of them again. Well, your heart apparently is not that bright. <laughs> Yeah, Hildegard, I'm I'm sorry, but you took over the dramatic stuff after Sif left, I guess. Well, she figured with Sif gone and Loki now fell off of a cliff, it's her turn. <laughs> this is her turn to shine. Damn it, Hildegard will get the end. I may be third banana on this boat, but by golly, I'm going to be the diva now. 
<laughs> but the others are gone. Loki and Sif are gone. This is all me. It's Hildy's time now. <laughs> Everything's coming up, Hildegard. I mean, she even gets a tear out. Mm. I mean, let's be honest. Thor books are no stranger to people being overly dramatic over the slightest things. Oh, God, no. That's the whole point of it, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then they're definitely fun that way. Yes. And I had fun with this. Yeah, I mean, this. it feels like, you know, two different stories kind of mash together, but... Yeah. But, you know, it's not... It's not like you, you know, put jelly beans in the mashed potatoes or something. It's. But, yeah, no, I will agree that this, out of the three, this one most feel. The other two uh, stories of this crossover, The Amazing Adventures and Justice League, I mean, they go to the party. Like, the be- like the Amazing Adventures issue, Beast goes to the party. You know, the jar- you know he fights Juggernaut at that party. Just League of America, the Just League ride in the parade. You know, they are part of that. Here, the Thor stuff is happening in Rutland, and he's using the people, but, like, yeah, it, it is the mo- it is the, it is the least connected to the Rutland stuff. It's almost like Jerry Conway wanted to be part of the, do this, too, and he's like, um, but this is not what I had planned was doing here. Well, I guess I could have it take place there. That works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like it feels like the other two. The plot, the plot came first of let's do this in Rutland and work and figure out how to do, it, and then they worked it out. And this one, he already had a plot and then just kind of added in the Rutland stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's still better than a Red Skies crossover, though. Oh yeah, it's it's further than that. It is definitely more connected than that. But I mean, as far as Thor's concerned, as far as the issues concerned, as far as Thor's concerned, it is almost Red Skies. Mm-hmm. The fact that Thor. Does not even acknowledge where he is. And he's been to Rutland. I'm pretty sure he's been to Rutland before, like, one of those Avengers issues. You know, does not acknowledge where he is. Does not acknowledge Tom, the parade, anything of that happening. He has no clue about that. Now, he will in future issues, because apparently he finds Loki is found at some point in his left, like, I think he's, like, supposed to be, like, mindless or something. He's left in Tom Fagan's care. (laughs) Oh, lordy. And then at some point, Loki comes back to normal and sources some other some random kid who's there to think he's Loki and everyone thinks he's Loki. And then when that thing goes goes away, Tom Fagan is arrested for kidnapping. And has to call the Avengers to explain to police what happened. I didn't kidnap anyone, officer, I swear. It was an Asgardian deity. All right, buddy. All right, I swear. Every year it gets this part this party gets crazier. <laughs> Into the drunk tank with you. Now, something I was amazed at was that, you know, we're in the 200s and Thor still turns back into Donald Blake. Oh, no, he he didn't do that. He was just worried about that, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but but apparently, you know, the the limitation and everything is still on there. I I actually thought they had gotten rid of the Don Blake stuff by this point, but. Well, I think at this point the Don Blake stuff was still there. They just didn't give it to him about Don Blake or his life. Yeah. No, that's right. He is still there because I have read, and I know it comes. I know it comes out later in the seventies. The uh, Korvac saga. Hmm. Okay. And the way that it, I don't know if you've read that one before or how much you know of that one. 
It's been a long time, so. But yeah, the Korvac saga ends with Korvac basically killing or maiming most of the Avengers. And then when he dies at the end, he revives everyone he's killed. They're hurt badly, some of them. And Thor is like one of the ones who was okay. And basically he turns into Don Blake to treat them. So he's still Don Blake in the late 70s. How much of a life Don Blake has, I can't say. Yeah, it depends on the writer on whether or not Don Blake is a real person or a construct created by Odin or that's somewhere probably, in between. That's probably best for Don Blake that they just decided it was a construct created by Odin because otherwise that really sucks for that guy's life. Yeah. You know, at least if he's not a real person, it's like, all right, well, that's why. You know, it kind of makes Thor seem really callous about this other person's life he's sharing. Because in later years, he is a lot more concerned with uh, Eric Masterson's life. Mm-hmm. But Eric was a real, per- you know, a real person, so to speak, beforehand. Yeah. Well, you know, during the, uh, I want to say it was the, the Straczynski run that they made a, a big deal about trying to have a balance between Don Blake and Thor. Yeah, I don't re- I mean, I've read that, but not too much. I have to go back and read that again. It's been a while. I do remember also when he was Jake Olson. I don't remember if Jake Olson was real or not, though, now. Oh, gosh, that's the... Um, that's the Dan Jurgens run. Yeah. The Sword of Heroes Return. Um, oh, I can't... I, I want to say he was, but... Then I don't know. Oh, I, I didn't read so, all of that run. Yeah, there's something in me that says he was... Some, something in my mind is remi- making me think he was a fake person. But I know Eric, but at least Eric 100% was. Yes. And Eric, he was definitely concerned with his life. He did not want to overtake Eric's life. Here, it's just like, yeah, Don Blake's just a weakness. Don Blake is just like kryptonite here. Okay. Uh, in Thor 159, Odin says Don Blake is a magical construct. Okay, so at this point, he knew Don Blake wasn't real. Yeah, but he can, but he's still forced to transform back into him, so... And he actually tries to make a life as Don Blake later on, because I've covered some issues that featured the man beast, like Thor 313. And he's actually like, there as Don Blake touring Cape Canaveral. Huh. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of, the, the Marvel Wiki says that uh, the, tri- the one bit of trivia for Don Blake is that he usually vacationed in Florida. So, yeah. Well, in that issue, he got Tony Stark, because at that point they knew who each other was. Tony Stark got him a clearance to go visit, the, like, see a space shuttle. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it kind of helps when, like, if, when they still have the secret identities, if you're one of the few that knew. It's like, Tony, you do, do me a favor? Awesome. Yeah, back before everybody knew who everyone was. and Yeah. Some of the things that work, some of the things that doesn't. That shouldn't be everybody knowing, but I don't think everyone has to be hidden either. But that's a that's a conversation for an, that's another episode. Mm-hmm. Clinton and I are almost done talking about the comic, so it's time to cover our feedback. And this time, the feedback is about episode one eighty three, Warlock Rebirth with John M. Wilson, in which John Wilson and I talked about the Warlock Rebirth miniseries. And on Facebook, the posts about that episode got likes and shares from. Walt Neeland, Joe Sedano, Magazines and Monsters, Owen Dees, Jesse Starcher, Clinton Robinson, 
Derek William Crabb, and Martin Gray. We also got a comment from Tom Allen, who was happy to have Warlock back as the focus of the show. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from Doc Strange, Jason Snick Venable, Alan Sharp, Viet Win, Capes and Lunatics Podcast Network, Bill, aka The Bat Pod, JohnReadsComics.com, Julia Raul, Coffee and Comics, Chris Lydon, Bill, Eric Craig, Mac the Comics Monster, The Charming and Delightful Corey Strode, Alexa Paneligan, The Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, and Drab. And on Blue Sky, we got likes and shares from Sean42AZ, Cinema Strikes Back, Justin Steiner, Chris Lydon, Travis Ellisor, Truth, Justice, and Hope, and Regular Jim. So thank you to everyone. You can also catch me on two other shows I guest started recently. On Legion of Substitute Podcasters, episode 784, I didn't get to New York Comic Con either, celebrating the life and work of Keith Giffen, which came out a week that Keith Giffen sadly passed away, in which I joined the subs in talking about, well, the life and work of Keith Giffen. And also, on the Magazines and Monsters feed, you can check me out on an episode of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics, as Billy and I discuss Werewolf by Night, number 22 and 23. Now, you want to hear your name said here, or you have comments to make about this episode, or anything else, send them to me. And here's how you do it. Send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. On Facebook, just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box, and we will pop up. On Twitter, we are at AdamThanosPod. And on Blue Sky, we are at AdamThanosPod.bsky.social. This show is part of The Collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances, and you are about to hear a promo for one of the other Collective shows right now. Are you a fan of comic books? Are you a fan of comic book villains? Well, join me, Russell, as we take a walk on the dark side with Tomes of Evil, the podcast dedicated to discussing, analyzing, and overall glorifying the villains of Marvel Comics, DC Comics, and all your favorite indie books. Tomes of Evil, a comic book building podcast. But either way, this was Thor. Now, how much, just before we finish up, so how much Thor of this time frame have you read? Uh, in the 70s, not as much as I should. Same here. Yeah, m- most of my Thor stuff, like I've, I've read a, a smattering of stuff before Simonson, but yeah, usually it's it's like Simonson on. Yeah, I've read some of the Simonson, not all, but I have to read more. I have to finish doing that, but I've read some of the Simonson. I read a few early ones, but most of what I know about early ones is listening to like things like Make Ours Marvel talk about it. Mm. And then when I started reading Thor, wasn't until it was like the DeFalco run, Friends run. 
Yeah, same. Yeah, it actually actually was the first issue with uh the first issue I actually bought as part of the reading it regularly was the first Eric Masterson. It, not when he first showed up, but when he first was Thor himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like four thirty-two, four thirty-three, somewhere in yeah. there. Yeah. Yep. Through him getting Thor getting me back and then dropped out and then would pop back and forth here and there. You know, different runs. Mm-hmm. You know, read some of the shirtless run. I was going to ask if you were around for midriff floor. <laughs> yep. Yep. But he just wore pants and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right at the end. Yeah. Everything from like four sixty, I think something like that. Like about every 10 to 12 issues, Thor just like starts to lose more and more clothing. I mean, I will be covering some of that eventually when we get to the blood and thunder crossover with the warlock stuff. Oh, that. Uh, yeah, that that was a thing. Yep. I don't think I read the Thor issues. I think I just read the Warlock issues. At yeah, the time, the other way around. I ha- I read the Thor issues and I think the Silver Surfer issues, but I could be wrong. Get to that one eventually. Eventually. <laughs> but anyway, that was the story. That was this crossover. That was Halloween. Thanksgiving. And I didn't get any candy. Turkey. I got a rock. (laughs) Well, if you want people to get you candy, tell them where they can find you. Turkey. Oh, well, if you want to get me candy. uh... (laughs) No, turkey. Oh, never mind. No, uh, you can find me on... uh... The shows Al mentioned earlier, Coffee and Comics, uh, Fan Film Fridays, and Days of High Adventure. Uh, All three of those come out when I get around to them. Sadly, it's not a regular release schedule, but, you know, it it is what it is. Uh, Otherwise, you can find me over on Twitter at CoffeeComicsBLG or on Blue Sky at Coffee and Comics. Oh, yeah, I actually got the right name this time. There you go. See, you know what you're doing. And links for those things, well, most of them. I don't think I can't really do a link for Blue Sky. Yeah. At least not as far as I can tell. But links to that other stuff will be in the show notes. All right. Well, I guess it's time to get out of here before my sister shows up. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate you having me over for, you know, whatever all of this ended up being. But, you know. Demonic rulers of the underworld whims be as they are. Yeah, well, they get bored. They need something to do. I mean, I guess it could be worse than taking us to a Halloween party. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't want to get controlled by Loki. Yeah. No, no. But, you know, Thor's there, so that's fine. They'll be okay. I mean, as long as it works out better than it did for the people in the first Avengers movie. I'm thinking (laughs) of the guy who lost his eyes. Mm. That still freaks me out. But anyway, that's enough. That's it for this time. So happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And everybody. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan made production. And no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood.
The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. I'm also going to probably do Jeff's lines just in case you don't get Jeff. That's a fair question. Man has a point. That's a fair question. I have to admit. Why are they laughing? Is it at me? Do they know? All right. Let me know if you need anything else. Hello. No, wait. That's for Al. Scratch that. All right. I think that's it. Good luck putting that together. Excited to hear all the shows that are going to be coming out with our stuff in it. Happy Halloween. And I, of course, just found another one, which is We Know! Um, Here are our lines. We're at the part in the promo where uh, Clinton doesn't know where Oklahoma is, and now we're supposed to do over-the-top laughter. So, uh, Lane, you do your over-the-top laughter first. (laughs) So, yeah, we're laughing. And um, then John says about random nonsense, and then he realizes we're here. Hello. Hi. And Maggie loves John. That's so cute. Um, And then um, uh, Tim says he got letters, so we're both supposed to say we got letters. So, yeah, I got a letter. Yeah, me too. Um, Does anyone else's mysterious letter smell like sulfur? Yeah. And does anyone else know where that music is coming from? Oh, no. Oh, no. And then Mephisto. Greetings, casters of pods. It is I, Mephisto. Oh, yeah, we skipped one of mine. Oh, oh we did. We skipped. So yeah. Maggie says, damn it, John. Who's this guy? And then Jeff talks, and then Mephisto says, greets, and we're like, we know. I don't. And then Clinton, and then Mephisto, and then we start naming our shows. So um, let's do it cute. Let's do I'll say ninjas, you say and bots. Okay. So ninjas. And bots. And then we'll also just record in case we need to. Superman in Crisis. Batman books, The Dark Knight in prose. And then he wakes up from a dream and you were there and you were there and you were there. Okay. Okay. So I think that's our lines. So there you go, Al. Uh, Hopefully you can still use them. They're not too late. Yeah. Sorry for the delay. We suck. Wait, was that it? But where's my part in the show? The crossover is only named after me, for hell's sake. You just play the trailer, and that's all? I won't stand for this. Take me to the circle where the talent agents are. I need to have words with them.
Meow. Oh, yeah. Oh, we gotta edit that. Yeah. You're gonna have to edit this whole thing for Al. Hi, Al.